grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Sunday in Advent is found recorded in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Look, I am sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight will surely come, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day when he comes? Who will remain standing when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will be seated like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and like silver. They will belong to the Lord and bring him an offering in righteousness. Judah and Jerusalem's offerings will be pleasing to the Lord as they were in the days of old, in years long ago. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I pray for all of you, I always pray with joy, because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I am convinced of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I am equally convinced that it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, for, I, for both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all share in this grace with me. Yes. God is my witness of how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray that your love may still increase more and more in knowledge and every insight. This will result in your approval of the things that really matter, so that you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. We continue with the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, was Tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the whole region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just as it, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight and the rough ways smooth. 
and everyone will see the salvation of God. This is the Gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into the whole region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Just as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight and the rough ways smooth and everyone will see the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and all who worship the babe of Bethlehem. My dear friends, when you were younger, did you ever hear someone correct you because you spoke of the Christmas story when speaking about the Luke chapter 2 account of the birth of the Savior, how Mary even wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And you got corrected because it is not the Christmas story, but rather it is the Christmas account. And you shouldn't call it the story. I remember being corrected by that. And in fact, even to this day, when I blurt out, the word Christmas story, I oftentimes will correct myself and say, I, I, I mean the, the Christmas account. Because you're supposed to stay away from the idea that it was simply a story like a fantasy or a fairy tale, when really the story itself, as recorded in Luke chapter 2, is an account in a historical fact of the birth of the Savior. Is it really a big deal whether you call it a Christmas story or not? Well, I will say this. I, I tend to put the best construction on it if someone does call it the Christmas story. But please, always keep in mind, it is more than just a story. And I find it interesting that even how God had, had the gospel writer Luke write he didn't write it like anything was simply a, a fantasy or, or a story that's a fairy tale. In fact, he didn't open with the words of our text with once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away, long time ago. Instead, he opens with the words, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, we have a date. We have a real person. Roman history tells us that there was a Tiberius Caesar. In fact, he was the second Roman emperor. He replaced his stepfather, Caesar Augustus, who was the one who issued a decree. And that's why Jesus 
ended up being born probably with the animals and being laid, laid in a manger. Tiberius Caesar, as I said, was a stepson who replaced him. And we know from Roman history when they reigned, the Romans were great at keeping numbers and, and statistics. So the 15th reign of Tiberius Caesar brings us to right about 2829 A.D. after the birth of Christ. This would have been the time when Pontius Pilate would have been governor of Judea. And governor meant he had, well, quite powerful Roman authority over this entire region. I read one place that he is actually the fifth governor of Judea. And by the way, as a governor, he was cruel. We know from scriptures that he actually had people murdered, took their blood, and mixed it in with their sacrifices as they mocked, as he mocked the Jewish religion. This was the time of the Tetrarchs. Tetrarch literally means a ruler of a fourth. But over time, that, base, that term basically became known as a petty prince. We have Herod, we have Philip, we have Lysanias. Because they're all mentioned together, many believe that all three were sons of Herod the Great or Herod the First. That was the Herod that the Magi spoke with. That was the Herod who wanted to end the life of the one called King of the Jews. This is the one who sent in his army to kill all the firstborn or all the sons who were two years or younger in that region around Bethlehem. But Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Lysanias were not sure if he was really a son or not. There's huge debate about that. Herod and Philip, we know for sure, were sons of, of Herod the Great. The Bible makes that very clear. In fact, it was Herod, also known as Herod Antipas, who took his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and took her as his own wife. And it was John the Baptist who spoke about this new relationship, condemned this new relationship, and it was King Herod, this King Herod, who eventually had John the Baptist executed by beheading. Yes, this was the Herod who befriended Pontius Pilate, especially at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. <clears throat> then we're told of the priesthood of Annas. He was a priest for or a high priest for, for quite a few years. He was basically retired, but still very influential. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, some promote, pronounce it Caiaphas, he was the one that would ask Jesus the question at his trial before the Sanhedrin, are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus would answer, I am. He would rip his cloth and or his garments and scream out, blasphemy, he is worthy of death. And it was then that the Sanhedrin decided to take Jesus very early Friday morning to Pontius Pilate because they wanted him dead by crucifixion. We have the political scene. We have the religious setting. 
before us, that in and of itself should be more than enough to say that John the Baptist and everything that John the Baptist did and all that John the Baptist said about the coming of the Savior. Remember, he's the one that would even say to his disciples when Jesus was passing by, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this is proof that this is true. These were real historical figures. This is not a story. But if you're still not convinced... Then we're told here that, that we have the words of the prophet Isaiah who foretold the coming of John the Baptist, who also foretold the coming of the Savior. Remember, he would be born of a virgin. But now here, here the gospel writer Luke quotes a voice calling or one calling in the desert. One who would be a Herod and prepare people's hearts and lives and minds for the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here we're told that this is fulfilled in John the Baptist. That too is proof that John the Baptist is real. But if you're still not convinced, then we're also told that the word of God came to John. And it was the word of God that told him to preach and teach. That he didn't take up this call to be the forerunner of Christ on his own accord or because of a decision he made. This was a divine call, called by God himself. And just as God is real, his call is real. And that makes John the Baptist real. So when I have as a theme, listen to the true Advent preacher, I mean true in the sense of real. And why I'm making such a big deal out of this is because we're coming up at Christmas time. And, and as we look forward to celebrating Christmas, oh, we hear so much these days of, of what Christmas is really all about. Oh, you'll hear it on the radio, the Christmas music, or what's called Christmas music, is being played. Some are playing it 24-7. And, and, and then there's all those movies that are out. And don't forget the Hallmark ones that you can watch and, and, and how people are even coming together and two people who didn't know each other and then they're falling in love and, and, and all that Christmas time. It's so wonderful and such a wonderful feeling because it's so romantic. And it's all centering around usually one figure. One figure that some will argue has a historical background. Or you can point them to someone real from the past, but many argue that that's not even true. But whether it is or not, the one that is so promoted as being the one of Christmas is not what Christmas is about at all. The one that Christmas is about, the one who is real, without a doubt, he's not a fairy tale, he's not a fantasy, is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, who took on human flesh and was born of Mary. 
The very one who would take on the sins of the world. The very one who would pay for those sins on the cross. This is who is real. So when we hear about the Christmas account, understand it is more than just simply a Christmas story. This is true, historically true. And do not doubt it. And because that's true, what's also true is his second coming, when he will come with the holy angels on the last day. That too is true. But that will be historically true. But we do not doubt it now. Always knowing that Jesus is the reason for the season. And in fact, he's the only reason. No one else can be the reason for the season. Therefore, do not give anyone else the glory due the Lord. Yes, John the Baptist is real. And the message that he proclaimed is real. We're told from the prophet Isaiah that he is a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, and then goes on in beautiful poetry of saying, make the path straight, fill in those hills, or lower those hills and fill in those valleys, so that when the Lord comes in, it's not up and down, it's nice and straight and smooth. The road is crooked, well, straighten it out, so the road is straight. When you have a king come in, the Herod would be sent to prepare people for his coming. You filled in those potholes. You filled in those bumps in the road. You wanted, when the king came through your city, you wanted him to have the best experience possible. But is Isaiah giving us a story here? No. Think of this like a parable. Yeah, an earthly story. But it has a heavenly meaning. All of this is prophesying setting the path of your very life and hearts and minds straight with the Lord. And how is that done? He preached a message of baptism, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist was called by God to put water on people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then along with that baptism came the message of repentance. And the word repentance literally is a compound verb in the original language, which simply means change mind. Repentance is a change of mind concerning sin, and it is a change of mind concerning salvation. When it comes to sin, the change of mind is I no longer take pleasure in sin because I know it is the cause of eternal condemnation and damnation. And this is why we always speak of repentance as two parts. One is confessing our sins and, and having sorrow over sin. As we pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when it comes to changing our mind of salvation, we know that salvation is not by the good I do. I don't merit eternal life. I don't merit God's favor. It is God who came to me. And he came to you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit working through that word, he has called you to faith, to trust that he paid for our sins. And that for all glory and praise be to him.
a mole. And that brings us to the second part of repentance. It is faith. Faith which is a gift of God. Trusting in the salvation that is ours. Because of this baptism and this repentance that John preached, the goal was the forgiveness of sins. Was telling people because of the Savior and what he has done for them. You live now with the forgiveness of sins and where there's forgiveness, there is a new life, a new relationship with God. Not living as a sinner who's condemned to hell, but living as a saint who looks forward to heaven with complete hope. This is faith in our very Lord. Once again, whom we can't thank enough for all that he has done for us. Hearing of baptism, hearing of repentance, and proclaiming this message, by the way, is the same words that Jesus spoke to his disciples during that 40-day period, once he rose and before he ascended back into heaven, he will tell them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And what's at the heart of the teaching? The heart of the teaching is law and gospel. And what is at the heart of law and gospel? The word repentance. Using the law to show a person their sins, but using the gospel to show them their salvation. And the gospel has the power, since the Holy Spirit works through it, to also call others to faith in Christ Jesus, their Savior too. My dear friends, when we think of Christmas time, we usually think of gift giving. And maybe you're looking for the perfect gift. And I've heard people say over the years, the perfect gift is finding a gift that is really personal to the person, where maybe you caught that person saying something like, oh yeah, if I could afford that, I would get that. And you, you heard them say that, and, and now all of a sudden, secretly, you go and give them the gift, so when they unwrap it, they, here, you're giving them a gift they didn't expect, but deep down they really want it. And then to see the expression on their face, it holds a dear place in your heart. And even though that is all beautiful, and that is all wonderful, and I don't want to put that down. If you're that kind of person who looks for that kind of gift, and always, always wanting to show your love by giving that gift they didn't expect. I pray that don't lose sight of Christmas time and gift giving of the beautiful gift that God has given the world that none of us expected. But here the Lord promised that he would come and did come. That's an historical fact. This is not a story. This is the Christmas account. And so Christmas, yes, it is gift giving, but it is the gift that comes from God to us and to the entire world. 
that we join our hearts and minds and voices in giving the praise and glory. And by the way, don't just simply take my word for it. Listen to the true Advent preacher. He was called, as we are all are called, is to point to Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.